For our text this morning, I've selected the 11th chapter of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 11. I'd like to begin with the beginning of the chapter. Luke Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I'd like to end with the 13th verse. It's not my usual habit to pre-select a portion of Scripture, really not through any designs of my own, I guess. It's just uh, my particular disposition, maybe. But I confess that I feel a little like the Apostle Paul when he was in Athens. Saturday is my day to do my running around town, getting little bits and pieces for projects, taking things back, whatever have you. I usually like to try to do it right after breakfast in the morning. I usually take a few of the kids with me too. It's a good opportunity to spend some time with uh, especially some of the younger ones and it gets them out of the house so Grace can get things done. And uh, so we went into our little town, not so little anymore, and uh, went to a number of stores and so on. And I was really struck, really struck with 
with what I saw. I noticed a couple things. One is something that the retail industry refers to as sales creep. That's where the sales come a little bit earlier every year. So Black Friday sales used to be on Black Friday, but now we have Red Thursday or Black Friday week or Black Friday in August. You know, they've got these kind of funny sales things. And they, the idea, of course, is to try to steal the march on your competition by offering your sales items early to the consumer so that they buy your items that are on sale. So there was that I, I noticed and seeing how you know Boxing Day sales are already advertised but of course Boxing Day comes after Christmas and the Christmas items and decorations especially are all marked down already though the holiday is not yet here. And where I say that I feel a bit like the Apostle Paul is that my heart was stirred within me when I see I guess I'm a bit of a Christmas skeptic. All this lights and tinsel and decorations and fluff that surround this holiday at this time of year. I'm not really a big traditionalist when it comes to holidays. I confess I never have been. I don't really get nostalgic over Christmas songs and can't stand jingle bells. But the world gets excited about these things and the, the, the irony you know, I, I was walking into Canadian Tire, which is one of the places I usually end up on a Saturday, and walking through the front door, there's a nativity scene with the Holy Family there next to a large inflatable Darth Vader with a Santa hat on. I think, what do these things have to do with each other at all? So ridiculous. So ridiculous. Seasonal sections in the store that are overflowing with all sorts of toys and things that are not normally carried at at the other times of the year, but now because there's a consumer demand, now we make these offerings. And this profusion of lights and decorations and so much distraction, so much look here, look there, that the baby in the manger is missed behind the large, the fat man with the beard. I don't have any particular attraction to the 25th, and in that sense, I think some of our forebearers that were a little suspicious of some of these holidays that were celebrated by the high church probably headed a little bit right. Of course, that can be, the avoidance of these things can also lead to other problems, and if the world has chosen the 25th of December as the day to mark Christ's birth, I think we should talk about Christ's birth. I don't think we should ignore it. But all of this other stuff that goes along with it, to my eyes, it's just so much idolatry. What does this have to do with anything? Now, the one thing, perhaps, that I understand a little bit better, and maybe where the world's a little closer to the mark, is when we talk about the giving of gifts. We see that in God giving his son. We see that also in the gifts that the wise men brought to the Christ child in the manger. And we know it's good to give good gifts. We can, you can even see that from Scripture here. But how much more could it be? You know, at this time of year, 
I think maybe in reaction to the sort of happy holidays thing is I usually wish people a Merry Christmas. And I do that hoping that perhaps they'll pause and think, yeah, there is still something in back of all of this that has to do with a man named Christ. This practice of giving gifts, like I said, is not a bad thing. We know the ultimate giver of every good and every perfect gift is none other than our Heavenly Father. And I don't think any of us like someone who is stingy. But in all this hustle and bustle, as we're driving in this morning to church, we go past a Costco and the parking lot's already full. Everyone knew that the holiday was coming on the 25th of December. It comes every year at that time. But somehow, the stores are always still full right before Christmas. Everyone looking for that perfect gift for their loved one. But what's the heart of the giver? Perhaps you've had the experience where you get a gift for someone and they get a gift for you and they may maybe give their gift to you first, and it's a lot more extravagant than the gift that you got in return for them. And then you think, oh dear, I better go out and get something else to add to this because my gift seems rather small in comparison. But that spirit of generosity seems to end at the door of the shopping mall because when then people get out and are fighting for parking spots or cutting each other off on the road, there isn't much peace and goodwill for anyone. And so, though I preached on this chapter not that long ago, I believe, I'd like to focus a little bit on the latter section of what was read, and then go back and maybe touch briefly on the first portion. Christ tells us that we will be heard by our Heavenly Father when we ask for something from Him. And if we will continue to ask, that importunity, the old English is here. In, Eng in modern English, we'd say bugging. In that importunity, that, that coming again and again and again, he will hear us. In fact, he expects us to ask regularly and to not grow faint in asking. That's not something my children need to be taught. They know that well. But I think I forget that sometimes when it comes to asking my Heavenly Father. I ask once or twice, and if I don't seem to get an answer, well, then I try to come up with my own solution. When my Father has something good, He wants to give me. And He wants me to labor even in the asking of it. Gifts are an interesting thing. There's an anticipation of something when we ask. There's, that's one type of gift. We ask for something and we wonder if we're going to receive it. But there's also those gifts where we weren't expecting it. And it's something incredibly generous. And those gifts, I would say, are perhaps the most memorable. You can perhaps think of some things that someone has given you that has been incredibly generous. You weren't expecting and that really sticks in our memories. I can think of a few gifts like that in my life. Generous gifts. 
so is the first gift that we receive as believers. That, that gift of salvation that was not necessarily with, a, with a, a sense of entitlement or anything, but a sense of desperation, God, please help me. And when he's answered that need with the gift of his son, how much greater that gift was than we ever expected. To feel that weight lifted from our shoulders. To understand that for the first time, I'm right with God. To know that my name is now recorded in heavenly places. Wow. What a sense of, of, of release, of joy, of peace that came with that gift. But there's another gift. And that gift we must ask for. And we must ask for it expecting to receive it. Christ lays out for us here something that we can all understand, especially if you have children. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, a bread, bread in, in this culture, that was the, the staff of life. That was the only... Uh, really portable food that you could take with you, prepare and take with you and consume it later. Anything that was raw had to be cooked or salted, and even the salted stuff that had to be then prepared in a special way. You couldn't take a bowl of soup with you or something, but bread was, was portable, it was necessary, it was high calorie. Uh, it was what you needed to get through the day. And what father would refuse the, a, a basic necessity of life? from his children, especially to be so cruel as to turn around and give him something like a stone. The next comparison is a fish with a serpent, a clean animal that was a staple of the diet in that area versus an unclean animal, a detestable animal. You know, when God said in the garden, I will put enmity between between the woman and between the serpent, I mean, we see that to this day. I don't know of too many ladies that like snakes. But to give a snake as food, I mean, in some cultures they eat it, sure. But I think it might be because there's nothing better around. Or an egg, a scorpion. Now, all of these things are necessities. There's something that you need for life. Protein, carbohydrates, things that your body needs, that it craves. But how much better, parents, is it when we can give a, a gift, something above and beyond the necessities of life, something extra, especially when it's something that the children perhaps were not expecting. It is a delight to see the surprise on their face and the, and the joy to receive something. And I try to give gifts to my children throughout the year. I don't want things to be too connected with one time of year or, or a, even, a, even a birthday, but to know that I like to give good things to my children on a regular basis because my Heavenly Father is that way. He doesn't hold it all up for one day and then give it to us. He gives us these, these, these treasures. That's why the Zion's Harp hymn came to mind. These treasures out of His treasure box, new and old, things from the Word of God, things from life, things, advice that we receive from other brothers and sisters. Little moments in the day little pictures that we receive of God's love for us, 
constant reminder. But I would like to focus now on the 13th verse. I think we've grossly overlooked this verse. At least I have. I've been guilty of this. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that are saved? No. To them that ask. That ask. What does that mean? Christ spends some time talking about gifts and gift giving, and we can relate to all of this thing, all of these things that are said. But how many of us have asked, really asked, for the Spirit of God? And that is not a one-time filling, brothers and sisters. That is not just something that happens once uh, in front of the elders here in the congregation, and that's it. No, no. This must be a continual filling. A continual filling that results then in an outflowing. Do you remember what the Lord said to the woman at the well? He says, if you drink the water that I give you, oh, I'm mixing together. You're never going to thirst again, which is the one. But then when Christ was the great day of the feast and he stood up and said, whoever has this water, it's going to flow out of him. How does something flow out of us if it's not continually being filled in us? I picture a cup, a cup that as it's filled, it fills to the brim and then it overflows, but the water must continue to pour into the cup. And so I think we must also continue to ask, continue to ask our Heavenly Father for that good gift of the Holy Spirit. We can become dry, brothers and sisters. We can become dry and barren, fruitless, without the Spirit of God flowing through us. At salvation, there is new life given, but the vitality, the, the power to do, comes from the Spirit of God. I see, I see both working together. There's a new life, a cleansed vessel, and it's filled now with the Spirit of God, but that's not a one-time thing. We need to ask, and we need to continue to ask. This pattern of asking again and again, the importunity that Christ talks about here, I think it's related to the second half that we finished, about asking for the Holy Spirit. Keep asking for the Holy Spirit, Christ is saying. Keep asking for His infilling in our lives. If you do not see the evidence of the Spirit of God in your day-to-day -day life, ask to be filled. It needs to flow out of you. There's a deficit. There's a lack there. And it's not just simply a topping up and now I'm good, but an overflowing. That, I believe, is the abundant life. We are called to that. That abundant life is not, is not, a special, super deluxe version of Christianity. That there's regular Christianity and then there's the, the premium version. I think Satan sold us that lie. For the Christian, the normal state is healthy spirituality. Anything different is sickness. Anything different is a problem. The thing is, 
if we're all in different degrees of sickness, like say in a hospital, we might look pretty good compared to some of the other patients. But does that mean we're healthy? No, of course not. We are called to more, brothers and sisters. We are called to more. I'm convinced of that. It's like a man, say, in Texas with a small farm. The ground is dry. The rains come infrequently. The topsoil has mostly blown away. There's a little scrub from here to there through the corners of the acreage and a few scrawny cattle eat what they can and drink what little trickles of water they find. And the farmer is barely getting by. Day to day, week to week, season to season, barely getting by. Minimum, the bare minimum. Enough to keep away the foreclosure sign and enough to have a little bit of bread on the table. But what that poor farmer with that piece of blasted ground doesn't realize is that a couple hundred feet below that farm lies oil. Black gold. Dig down far enough and his life would change completely. Why don't we see the abundant life? Why don't we see the Holy Spirit doing great things among us as he did in the past? You only have to pick up some of the books that were published by our publishing company years ago. Fire in the Zurich Hills. The Nazarenes in Yugoslavia. Stories of Henche and Kropacek and others. First century Christianity in the 1800s. Is the Spirit of God the same? So what are the barriers? What are the barriers to being filled with the Spirit of God? And I don't know that I have them all. These are just a few, perhaps. Do we really believe that the Holy Spirit of the first century church and of the 1800 Nazarenes, 1850s, 1860s, 1870s, when there were 40 churches planted every year or so, do we really believe that that same Holy Spirit is present today. That's the first thing, I think. We're told to ask. We're told to ask for the Holy Spirit of God and to ask again and again if I would combine this correctly with what we read a little earlier in the chapter. So what, what is the barrier? What prevents the Holy Spirit from breaking forth in our midst? What prevents him from filling every single pew to overflowing? What prevents him from making each one of his children a missionary wherever he or she is placed in this world? I think there's different things. And perhaps one thing is why we want the gift. You see, there are some that want the Holy Spirit 
They emphasize the spirit part of it because of the things and the working and the thrills. And if you look at the faith healers and the Benny Hins and the various other ones, they like the excitement, the thrill that goes along with this spirit. We'll call it in quotes. This spirit. It was really interesting. I heard a testimony from the nephew of Benny Hinn, who's now a fairly conservative pastor and has left behind that whole Word of Faith movement, even though he traveled with his uncle for a year as his personal valet and, by his own words, enjoyed every minute of it. But there's this thrill that goes along with it. And then he talked about when he met his fiancée and, and he was trying to get her to kind of go along with this excitement, this showmanship, and, and, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So some people want the Spirit perhaps because of the thrill, but what, what they forget there is that's not his name. His name is the Holy Spirit. That's the part that people don't like. That's the part that people dig in their heels about or, or back off. This idea of holiness. We spent quite a few months last year putting together the lessons for camp for Be Ye Holy, and I think I'd say with the other brothers that did that, we felt we were only really scratching the surface. And, and to be honest, camp was a bit of a letdown for me on that subject. I thought there was going to be more. Because there was so much more, I felt like we were just scratching away the topsoil at the top. And we were just, there's a sense that there's oil down there. But we never reached it. But it is there. And as this past year has gone by, I've been continuing to dig a little bit and look at other people that have found that oil, found the riches of Christ. And it's put a hunger in me to dig a little deeper, to see what I'm missing. Are we satisfied with the scrub? Are we satisfied with the stone? That we don't desire the bread. There's a lot of focus on gifts at this time of year. And like I said, it's not, it's not bad to give gifts. Don't get me wrong. And even though perhaps my own personal view on, on Christmas is a little jaded, I admit that. But the most important gift, yes, is his son. We know that. But for those of you that have received the Son, have you asked for the Spirit? That's where I want to challenge you, brother and sister. Have you asked for that Spirit of God? Are you afraid to ask? I'll admit to you freely that when I was a young man, I was afraid to pray to God because I didn't know what I was doing. It was kind of like handing the keys of the car to Him, saying, I don't know where He's going to take me. I was really careful when I prayed and I didn't pray too open-ended a prayer because I didn't want him asking me to do something. You know, I thought maybe that God was kind of like, well, I got you now. You asked that, now I'm going to send you to some, some God-forsaken place to go do some horrible task for me. Totally wrong picture of God. Totally wrong. He's a loving Father. He doesn't want us to have the stone. He wants us to have the bread. And not just any bread, but the best bread. Fresh bread. I love fresh bread. One of the places I usually go on a Saturday morning is to the local Italian bakery. 
And man, when you get a loaf of bread that's still warm from the oven, people in North America have no idea what decent bread is, most of them. It comes prepackaged in plastic and feels like couch stuffing. Real bread. God wants the best for us. The best. We just need to ask him. Will you ask him for the spirit of God to be in you? And are you willing then to be holy, to receive that Holy Spirit? That's the other part of it. The lie of the devil, I believe that the devil puts his best camouflage on the things that are the most powerful promises from God. He does his best to obscure it, which is exactly why we see so much nonsense and fluff around Christmas this time of year. He does his very best to distract us with every glittering light, bit of tinsel, decoration, whatever, that we miss that little baby and who that little baby was to become. We miss it. And I think he's done the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We've been right to be very suspicious of the charismatic movements and those that have taken things to extremes. I totally agree. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. There's no excuse for for, uh, ridiculous behavior in the name of the spirit of God. Absolutely none. And these faith healers and charlatans, the word of faith crew, no. No man has power. The power is from God. But I think we've been scared off from asking for the Holy Spirit of God because of this. There's something wonderful right below the surface, brothers and sisters. Something wonderful that would change everything for you. Will you ask? May the Lord add whatever was lacking. Would a brother please select a hymn? The message this morning reminded me of uh, a passage in the book of Ephesians concerning the, the great gift that God has given to us, the gift that the Apostle Paul perhaps meant when he said uh, to Timothy to stir up the gift which was given to you by the laying on of my hands. And... <clears throat> Paul, in the book of of Ephesians, the third chapter, says, and this is a long prayer that he had. It was completely punctuated with commas and semicolons. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God." Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. 
Amen. Did you see the description that God, that Paul gave of the power that God has given to us through his Holy Spirit? He doesn't give us the Spirit by measure, Jesus says. He gives us the Spirit pressed down and running over the gifts that he has given to us through the Holy Spirit. And that we may reckon ourselves not only to be forgiven of sin, not only to be righteous in his sight by the merit of the sacrifice of Christ's body on the cross, but to reckon ourselves to have that power available to us. That doesn't come out of a desire to be great personally. We saw what happened with Simon Magus, the Simon the sorcerer, when he saw the, the laying out of the hands of the apostles John and Peter. And he said, give me this gift also that I could do the same. And he offered them money from which we get the term simony. He tried to purchase the Holy Spirit with money. And Peter says, your money perish with you. Legend says, through the um, early church fathers, that this same Simon Magus wanted to be somebody so great that he went to Rome and they built a statue of him in Rome and he basically pronounced himself to be God. That's not the kind of power that God wants us to have, self-elevating so people could be admiring us, but that people could see in us, though we are made of vessels of clay, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, he has given to us in the vessels of clay that the power may be of God and not of us. And it doesn't take shaking the earth. It doesn't take moving of mountains. It takes for us in everyday life to do things that are not normal in this world. It's not normal for people to go around and, and giving the homeless shelter or food or clothing You can see many of these things on, on the internet screens where, where they've set up a girl that was well-dressed, a little kid, and, and she's well-dressed and she's lost, and everyone comes to her. And everybody comes and, and says, where, where are you? Who, who's your mother? Where's your house? And they set up the same girl in, in clothes, tattered clothes and disheveled hair, and she's standing there, and people pass her by. These social experiments... It's not normal to do that. It's not normal to love the unlovely. And people have been, become great in the eyes of God by doing the little things. Jesus says, he that is faithful in little is faithful in much. And over a lifetime you accumulate the treasures that are not for you but for God. Garlands for his praise by doing the things that the Spirit beckons us to do.
I was in Yugoslavia 30 years ago and I talked to my uncle and how they tried to bluff him, take him into the courtyard and says, you're going to either renounce your faith or we're going to kill you. And when they came down to the cell, he was in the cell on his knees praying. I heard this firsthand from him. They took him out. They made out they were going to kill him. They bluffed and they sent him back to the cell. After he was released and after the, the, the officer realized he was at home, he went to his house, knocked on the door. And he says, you're so-and-so. Yes, I am. Because I was the officer when they took you out. I just want to know what power kept you that you would deny, not deny your faith. And they told him about the power that was within him. It's obedience. It's not this magic. It's not this manifestations as we heard this morning that are so impressive to this world. But the fact that you could do the little things every day in the place you are, in the corner where you are, through the power of the Spirit. May the Lord bless his word to him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.